Episode 19 of the Rugby Paper Podcast plunges into the depths of the United Rugby Championship. South African provincial rise has been juxtaposed with Welsh regional struggle. And here to discuss this with me, Nick and Brendan, we welcome one of the voices of rugby, Eddie Butler. Let's get going. Should be a good and potentially another contentious episode this. Nick, Brendan, great to have you back with me. And we're with Eddie Butler. How are you? Very well, thank you, Molly. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Thank you so much for joining. Pleasure to meet a colleague, I suppose. We obviously go way back in a weird way. Say, same, same Cambridge College. So <laughs> shout out to Fitzwilliam. Uh, now, tell us, so you're, you're with the BBC for the Six Nations. A third of it, yeah. A third, the third, a third of the Six Nations. And now... Are you commentating on the United Rugby Championship? I am. I work for Premier Sport, which is, um, they're Irish, and they, uh, I suppose they're the phoenix that came out of old Satanta. And they do, you know, they do a lot of rugby, and um, I am their Welsh correspondent, I suppose. One of them. Yeah. Okay, excellent. That was great fun. Great fun. The URC is a, is a beast that is ignored everywhere by those many countries that are included in it. <laughs> yeah and obviously the number of countries is growing we'll get to that in a second so we're the weekend after the quarterfinals very quickly why don't we recap what happened so Eddie what's your overview of the quarterfinals we've now got semi-finals set up we've got Bulls versus Leinster and Ulster versus Stormers was there anything that happened in the quarters that really stood out to you no not really except um, you know further evidence that the South Africans <laughs> bring a certain something to it which is uh mostly tough, physical, beyond the means of the Welsh regions to cope with at the moment. I mean, when they first arrived back, you know, way back at the beginning of this season, they seemed to be everybody's four guys. I don't know how seriously they took it or whether they were resting all their stars, which which I think they were, but um, they were pretty useless. And yeah. it came as a bit of a, a bit of a slap to them that uh, this might be a little bit tougher than they, they had imagined. <laughs> and they... They got their act together and they all started performing more like the South African sides we know. And they are, you know, they are very physical. The, the only thing you can say about them, it's well, I suppose you can say it about Leinster as well. You know, you know what's coming your way, but can you stop it? That's the that's the thing. I mean, it's the error count of Leinster and the other Irish regions, which is very low, and South Africa have a very low error count, whereas Wales, we would we would be top of the error charts, I think, and that's yeah. the big difference. To, and under any sort of stress and strain, we start to make mistakes. And speaking of Leinster, let's look at the Leinster game. Seventy six fourteen against mm. Glasgow Warriors. Now, Leinster were obviously beaten by La Rochelle, which was a shock for many. Now, was, mm. is this a warning shot to the Bulls? And a Leinster, Leinster maybe would have been anyone's favourites three or four weeks ago. Do you think that's still the case now? Well, I don't think it was entirely a shock that La Rochelle beat Leinster. I, you know, I, I, I'd sort of, with my, with my postman, who, who loves his rugby, we'd sort of agreed that La Rochelle were going to be mighty tough. And, and so it proved, um, you know, they are very durable. And uh, I just think it's, it's further evidence of just of, of the great strides French rugby is, uh, is making at the moment and doing it very much the French way, which is so encouraging after, you know, decades of trying to extract a little bit of what everybody else was doing in, in world rugby, in particular England, uh, you know, the French model trying to copy what was going on in England and, and, and losing their identity. And it's just great to see them back being French, being very good, being a bit horrible. <laughs> they, are, 
They are tough. They are tough, no question. But that's how French rugby should be. And are Leinster your favourites to win the United Rugby Championship or are you backing one of the South African outfits? I wonder. I just wonder whether, you know, Leinster are very good at dispatching weak opposition now. You know, they're the sort of Graham Hick of um, of rugby. You know, put them on a flat track and they'll just clake you out of the ground. But I just wonder, I think a few questions have been asked. But if you, if you stand up to their mighty forward pack and if you, if you overcome the Leinster machine, then, then something might be there for you. And, and the Bulls are very good. And the Bulls got their big surprise last year when they waltzed into Italy for the final of the Rainbow Cup and, and got turned over by Benetton. And um, I don't think they'll be making that mistake again. They know exactly what's coming their way. And they are, uh, again, they're, they're formidable. They do have a six-day turnaround, though. And obviously, they're, they're the ones making the journey, which maybe gives Leinster a bit of an edge. Brendan... What's your prediction? Do you see Leinster running away with it? Yeah, there's a bit of a backlash going on, I think, at Leinster. They, they learned some painful lessons at La Rochelle. And like Eddie, I, I never thought that was a foregone conclusion. Anybody who'd been watching La Rochelle this season knew exactly what was coming Leinster's way. Uh, and it was going to be very difficult to overcome. And they fell a bit short. I mean, you know, they, they got very narrow scoreline, but I thought they got beaten pretty handily on the day. So I think there is a backlash going. And we'll get to this in a minute. I'm not fair enough with the, the current form of, of teams in this league. We just don't see it in England. It's a subscription too far for the rugby fan in England. So I rely totally on what we see on the teams in Europe, um, which is a bit misleading sometimes. Uh, and, you know, you get Twitter highlights and that. So I'll, I try and keep abreast of it, but I, I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly um, how you know uh, the balls and stormers are going these days, other than, as Eddie says, they are South Africans. They are fielding pretty much their, their first teams. And, uh, you know, one of them will get to the final without a question in my mind. Nick? Yeah, I, I don't see the Bulls beating Leinster in Dublin. And I do see the Stormers beating Ulster in, uh, in Cape Town. Overall, the, the commentary on what La Rochelle did to Leinster, anybody who looked at last year's semi-final saw that La Rochelle gave Leinster a really rough time up front. And so that that was never, as Eddie and Brendan have said, that was never going to be a foregone conclusion. They were obviously the form team going into it by a long chalk. And, and La Rochelle, the La Rochelle Racing uh, quarterfinal was a, a semifinal was a shocker. It's a good thing that they didn't play like they did in that game, because if they had, they would have been thumped. But they uh, they came through, and Skelton's performance in it was uh, was monumental. So yeah, I do, and I think that the South Africans. What's interesting about them is the fact that I mean, even though they've got the, the whole of their Springbok team playing overseas, either in Europe or Japan or whatever else, they keep on bringing, you know, there's a vitality about their game. They, they've they got their DNA. It's exactly the same as it, as it was. Uh, Lawrence Delaglio was talking about the fact that in 97, how much he learned from going to South Africa on that tour. And nothing's changed about their DNA. Nothing changed in the 2019 final. And um, these teams are, 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 seem to be a chip off that block. So uh, they're not going to be easy and they're going to, they could change the, sh- the shape of, uh, of the URC or they certainly are going to offer a challenge to any Irish domination of it that there has been. Let's plunge into the depths of the South African team issue. 
Eddie, you're obviously the the expert among the four of us, certainly. So this t- this time uh, last year, you know, top 14 season wraps up and you know that South African teams are going to be coming in next year. What was your feeling about South African teams joining? Well, I think, I think once the plunge was taken to invite them into the URC, even though it was delayed for one year, I think it was inevitable that um, they'd be in European competition. It was, it, it was everything the South Africans wanted. And I think they can they can reach into some pretty deep pockets. And uh, if their rugby qualifications aren't enough, then the, the the commercial clout they bring is 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 more than enough. Heaven knows we need we need as much money as we can get in the game at the moment. Whether it's right to call it European rugby and include a, a team from Southern Africa, teams from Southern Africa, oh, golf does it. Me, I'd worry about. Wales and uh, uh, yeah. diminishing place in the in the European game, and if you're going to start bringing in such formidable outfits, then it's going to make it e- even more difficult for us. But on the other hand, it might actually give us the the good kick we need to get going. And you know, there's there's a fundamental requirement in Wales for change on a on a big scale. So yeah. we've got to, we've got to grasp that nettle, and maybe South Africa coming in will will help that process. But do you think South Africa, two semi-finalists in the first year, after a rocky start, which you could say was an adjustment period, they now, they their internationals have come back, they have adjusted. Is that quite frightening? It's a bloody strong first season. The great challenge is, if you're, however strong you are, whether you're Toulouse, La Rochelle, you know, with all the resources, do you fancy going and playing a quarterfinal at altitude in Pretoria, Bloemfontein, Johannesburg, you know, it, it puts an entirely new stamp on the rugby experience of Europe. Long haul flights, playing at altitude. These were occasions that were uh, once in a career for most rugby playing generations. And if it's going to become an annual thing, then it, it, it does it. it. It changes just about just about everything. And are you saying that in and a good way? Or there, Eddie, sorry, sorry just to interrupt. Another you that quarterfinal uh, scenario you mentioned, all the players from Europe, or most of them, will be that will be a week or two weeks after a Six Nations campaign. We're talking about the same players. So it completely disrupts that rhythm at all. At least when it's a European tournament, all the top teams, all their top players have just had two months in camp with their national teams and battering the living daylights out of each other. Now, so as African teams, meanwhile, are sitting back they can be resting all their guys because they're strong enough, like Leinster, resting all their top guys to get their place in the league for the next season and, and preparing their cup team. And it, it just seems completely out of kilter, that to me. And just imagine all those provinces at the moment in South Africa playing without their overseas stars. If you dangle the carrot of European competition, they'll come back. So you're playing against the full yeah. Springbok outfit. It's kind of catch-22. If they came back, I mean, I thought before the Heineken Cup, best club tournament in the world was the Curry Cup. It was amazing. Semi-finals, finals, used to have them on TV in the late 80s, 90s. Fantastic. Curry Cup has disappeared. That ought to be where the top South African teams are. But as you say, if they've got this European carrot, these players will come back. Well, why don't they then revive the Curry Cup as a proper tournament? I I think that the curry cup has had something of a revival and um it might be that that happens at the same time as the six nations or something of that sort until they're they're included in it 
which seems to be the direction of travel that um, the URC is probably is the is the stalking horse for. I sort of think that overall that the, the quality of their teams and their coaches, you know, they're the world, they're the current world champions, but they they've been in a limbo. You know, those the the reality is is that we want to spread the game, we want the the game to be vibrant and 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 spread it around the globe. Now, Africa is still pretty well untouched in rugby terms outside South Africa. So their inclusion in our, you, you know, what were our European competitions. I know that there's, a, I feel conflicted about it in many ways as well, but I think that if you're looking at the overall, um, the idea that you want to spread the game as a participation sport and you, you're looking at new areas, a strong South Africa is absolutely essential in that and can be the dynamo for that and should be the dynamo for it. I would keep the name the European Cup. I wouldn't change it to the Intercontinental Cup or anything like that. We have a tradition. They've come into our tradition. Keep the name. Well, you know, we ought to, um, we ought to embrace change. I mean, we've, you know, goodness knows Rugby Union has a spectacularly bad reputation for, for progress. But this is an innovation. Let's give it a go, you know. And if it, if it doesn't work, <laughs> we can simply... You know, send them back to the Curry Cup and say thank you very much. You, you, you're too strong for for Europe at the moment. Let's um, revert to as was. You know, I'm prepared to go with that. Do you think that would be, given the financial favours that this is inevitably doing for the South Africa domestic game? Do you think there would be resistance to that if they were drafted in and then drafted out just as quickly? Well, you know, once you once you cross the divide, I mean, it's up to the South Africans how they how they divvy up their players, what license they give them to travel ab- abroad. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it very interesting. And uh, um, I just wonder what the English perspective on it will be when suddenly you've got England, who, who, who are at the cutting edge, of a, cut, cutting edge of a rugby revolution at the moment. Who'd have thought that the way Harlequins play and the way Bristol have played over the, over the past couple of seasons would truly be leading the game almost out of its over-physical worries. You know, we live in an age of concussion protocols, and it seems to me that the one country that is, well, the two countries, New Zealand and England, are most conscious of, of how to play your way out of contact danger. Very interesting to see what happens when these you know, revolutionary English clubs go and have the same experience at altitude against the South African teams. Yeah, it will, it will be, Eddie. And, I, and my, my feeling is, is that what we've seen in terms of the premiership with it's it sort of I think as much as anything it's a creature of, of of Harlequin's success last season and the brilliance of the way in which they played no question about that but it's also you know I mean the sort of semi-opposed stuff that we saw this last weekend uh, where Northampton put you know the best part of a cricket score over Newcastle Sale hammered Bristol and Saracen saw fit to put out a second team um, at King's home and got hammered. I just think that when they go and play in South Africa, the realities of the, you know, the, the, the really hard edge pro game reassert themselves almost instantly and defence becomes as important as attack, uh, if not more so. And so I think that there's a, a rude awakening for the premiership in some respects in that in terms of physicality, it doesn't equate with the European Cup. 
And, you know, the fact that Northampton, for example, who've just made, made it into the, uh, the semi-finals, the playoffs, didn't get out of their European pool. And, you know, both of the English sides went out in the quarterfinals. Tells you quite a lot about the competitiveness of the Premiership at the moment. So while it looks good, I get the feeling that it's got a touch of the old super rugby about it. And um, that model sort of died a death in terms of they're still dealing with the, uh, you know, the spectator effects of it with uh, thin crowds, you know, to watch uh, what is quite a high quality of rugby, certainly uh, on the New Zealand side of things. So, Eddie, you mentioned how going to South Africa was like a, a once a season thing or even once, a, well, more than that, once a once or every several seasons, maybe even a once a career thing. Is there not an element of negative impact if we forecast World Cup cycles? Because part of the brilliance of the World Cup or a Lions tour or whatever, is it, there's an element of mystery to it, as in regardless of how the domestic game is going in South Africa, domestic game is going in England, for example, you can never really know until a World Cup cycle comes around and that makes it good, it makes it exciting. Whereas if, say, next year in the Champions Cup. Domestic South African teams who don't even have their stars or their, you know, the, the even Etzebest, the Fafta Clerks, etc., are trouncing English teams. Does it not remove that excitement and mystery ahead of a World Cup later that same season? Well, we, we, that's a, these are hypothetical questions we don't know yet, so we, we, we ought to wait and see. But I, I do think it does. I think, you know, there was nothing more exotic than, than the World Cup first introduced in 1987 and now it seems that we all play each other every year but in a way we've um, you know we've had to accept that the autumn internationals serve only one purpose and that's to to fill the coffers you know it's it's a purely financial transaction in the november tests so that that element is all, is already there and it's it, it it's undeniable and the strains on players are only going to increase for all that we talk about player welfare they are they are exactly exactly signature on a contract and they're there to be used and discarded when when injury inevitably strikes etc you know it's it's just the way of the game and it's only going to get worse and i'm not sure if you keep things tight and keep it just european whether that's really gonna going to help you know it's uh we've already expanded across the continent for for regular parts of the season. So who, who are we to say that we should stop at those continental limits? Brendan, what did you want to say? Well, about aren't we being, well, aren't we, well, I think uh, my take on this at the moment, I mean, if situation now, there's, there are definitely arguments for bringing in you know, South African teams in terms of quality of rugby, in terms of TV money, in terms of, well, let, let's give it a go. But is this not a massive failure of the last 27 years of European rugby, which we've all loved and at various times has been an absolutely stunning tournament? But in that 27 years, actually, there's been no expansion of European rugby. I remember 15 years ago doing stories about Georgia had offered to put together a Georgian clubs team to play in the European tournament. They got turned down flat because nobody, they were told, would want to travel to Tbilisi three and a half hours flight to watch matches. I will. will. Tbilisi is actually a bloody good run ashore and it would be a great weekend and what a fantastic rugby experience. But no, none of that. Um, No finals in Italy ever to grow the game. Two or three of the best rugby experiences I've ever had in semi-finals in San Sebastian and a quarter-final in Barcelona. But no no building on that. And I was looking this weekend, there was the Spanish Cup final, the Honora Cup final, 
And a little team I followed, Odita, who are a um, Bass team, their first ever final, 20,000 crowd, absolutely going nuts. Why have we not tapped into this? Why are we not looking after Europe first? South Africa are big boys. They can look after themselves. They're not part of Europe. Why have we not seen, you know, um, Georgia invited to put an invitation team in? Why have we not tapped into what Spain could do? The reason is, is the same people running the Six Nations are running the European tournament. They don't want them. They don't want expansion. They want money. They want South Africa. And they want all these huge high-profile matches, 24 teams knocking the daylight out of each other. Well, we've got 12 tests a year. You're going to have another nine tests to win the European... These guys are going to play domestic rugby. If, if all the Welsh regions played at home, their sum total wouldn't come to 20,000. We'd be wow. outwatched by, by rugby in Spain. You know, the, the, which would explain why Wales in particular become very protective about what they've got. And they're not going to risk putting their head on the block for, for any new entrance that, that, that might knock them out. Mm. Which I think is a shame. I think you need that jeopardy to, to bring out the best in in the national sport. Just going back to your point, Brendan, is there, if you're bringing in a Spain, I don't know, combine or a Georgia combine or something like that, is that not the complete opposite of bringing in South Africa, which I think was done in, in ways to benefit European rugby in terms of raising the level of competition? And we were just saying how the premiership, the level of competition is often too low. You see the second team Saracen sides and Northampton trouncing Newcastle, etc. Would it not make is, that is it to goal benefit even bigger? Seems to me that South Africa are the main beneficiaries here. I mean, well, this is this is what I'm know, asking: is is are, are South Africa doing financially us in raising the? No, level? they're doing us no favors whatsoever. South African rugby, okay, most of their players or a lot of their players travel the world to earn incredible money if you give if you're given the rand the rate with the rand, but they can earn a perfectly good living in South Africa. But this is South Africa's sending its players off into the into the world, and they still want to be playing in the European Cup. There's not a single overseas player in the Bulls squad, long squad, or the Stormers. So it's all one-way traffic. So I don't think Europe is getting much out of this at all. It's it's for South Africa's benefit. And yes, we love South Africa. They are one of the great rugby playing nation, probably even ahead of New Zealand. But it doesn't mean to say we have to bow down in all the time and neglect our own continent. There was there was a reality, Brendan, when when all those Georgian and Romanian and, and Spanish teams did come into Europe. I mean, they they got thumped. Nobody ever got close to, to winning a big match. And there are players who are semi-pro at best, being exposed to all the rigours and perils that come with true professionals mm. coming at you. I agree, Eddie, but at the same time, there was no long-term view taken. At the same time, none of the national teams were being encouraged. And they, they were being thrown a bone. And I suppose a little club down on South Coast of Spain weren't even the Spanish champions and play in a seeded pool. So they will always be meeting the big boys, not even an open draw. And it was like a three or four year plan. And they just gave up. And because the same people who run European Cup run Six Nations, there's never, ever, ever any incentive for the other. The old, it's another argument, if you like, but promotion and relegation from Europe one. They, of course it should exist. It should have existed for 25 years. And then those teams would be slightly stronger. And actually, I don't want every cup match to be a test match. I don't mind some matches being 5-15 and you just have a nice weekend. You know, that's, I mean, that's what cup sport is about. The FA Cup isn't all about all the teams going against, all the best teams going against each other all the time. 
you know, the romance of the FA Cup is nothing to do with Man United v Man City. I, I think, Brenda, the, um, you know, that the two arguments are slightly different, you know, that the fact that European rugby hasn't taken the opportunity to grow has got not a hell of a lot to do with the South Africans. It's got to do with, as you say, with Europe, with FIRA. Yeah, failure with, of 27 and with, years. And with, yeah. and with the Six Nations. And oh. when you look at a country with the wealth or the wealth that Germany has had over the last 50 years or whatever, and the fact that the game is still a pinprick in, you know, the biggest, you know, economic and to, to a degree, certainly, you know, round ball wise, you know, the biggest sporting powerhouse in Europe is a disgrace. You know, I mean, it just shows... Yeah, what a failure of European rugby. It, yeah. When it started, it was going to be the Cup. What an absolute failure of administration, both at the European Cup and the Six Nations, not even to remotely tap into these these pockets of real rugby enthusiasm. You know, they're there if they were given some nourishment. How do you start that model now effectively, given the, the rigour of the professional lifestyle versus the semi-professional lifestyle is so much greater now than it is than it was 30 years ago? Well, most of the players in, in, in those Spanish clubs now are professional. They're not earning much, but they are professional. All the players in the Spanish national team will be professional. The gap isn't quite as big now as it was. Um, but yes, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. But it's, as I say, it's a failure since 1995 when this government came in to actually embrace what a European Cup meant. And, that, and the ultimate expression of that is we've now got three South African giants, maybe four South African giants, Next year, maybe an all South African final in Dublin for a European Cup. You might say, you might say, Brendan, that the Football World Cup has only been won by a handful of of countries. It's not not entirely different. Well, but, quite uh, a bit more than rugby. Well, but the, well, but uh, you know, from the outset, yeah, bigger game. Football bigger has game. been played by many more countries. So it does. I mean, in every in every chosen sport, there tends to be an elite group who have who tend to have it all their own way and are very reluctant to give up control of that way so and rugby being a deeply conservative sport is uh it's never going to be it's never going to be leading the march into the into the future you see the logic here is why not bring in the, the blues or the crusaders and and waratahs you know where does it stop you know it, it, once you've lost that notion of it being a european cup you can have any franchise well, if you're going to have a world league, then you could then you could make it truly global, and you could have uh, promotion and relegation in your four global leagues. And I think the environmentalists might have something to say about the carbon footprint. But there you go. You know, call it a league and not the European Cup. Weekly flights to Auckland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't do that, Brent. <laughs> yeah, that'll make a good rugby weekend, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'd make a case. I'd make a case for um, Argentina playing out of Barcelona in the uh, in the Seven Nations, yeah. and, uh, and and South Africa playing out of Amsterdam for the um, for the eight. You know, God, <laughs> it would be chaos. And this is the thing. So if we, I don't want to get into the Welsh case just yet, but obviously we speak about Wales and You're playing Cardiff only still. <laughs> <laughs> But if we speak about investment, and we touched upon it earlier in that the higher the level, it would be the kick up the backside to say we need to invest. Now, if we're globalizing rugby in such a way and making it sort of you have that sort of division between the very top, the very elite, like you were mentioning, Eddie, the Brazils of football, does that then mitigate the desire to invest, given that all of a sudden you don't have to keep up or die trying? 
Well, I think the reality in Wales is that we may as well give up on what was it called Gatland's law, which says that you know players have to stay in Wales. If 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 our top players are in Wales and nobody goes to watch them, then we may as well just release them, go and play wherever the market forces take them. They're not going to get any worse. I mean, has Dan Bigger become a worse player because he plays for Northampton? Absolutely not. You know, there's they're only going to get better by spreading their wings. Uh, and it seems to me that the one thing Wales had was the fourth November international. Well, you know, if, if if we don't have our best players released for that, then on that one day, we'll just have to put out the second team and um, take our chances. That's just the, the way it is. Well, Welsh rugby is going to have to adapt pretty quick or it's, uh, you know, it's already, well, it's not already enough. We coexist with football very happily. It's just that rugby at the moment is um, is well and truly stuck. I should say congratulations, by the way, for, uh, I don't know if you watch much, much football, actually, Eddie, oh, but no, on that. No. I love it. You know, it's been brilliant. You know, I've always loved it. And I've always taken the view that, you know, if you love sport, you, you, you can love many of them. There's no yeah, exactly. you oh, have oh, to blink at all. You've got to love your rugby and that's it, man. So um, slight, slight tangent, what were you doing on, uh, when Wales played Ukraine and qualified? Uh, sitting on the, um, sitting at home. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Very dull, you know. <laughs> Could you hear the streets? Uh, no, not in North Monmouthshire. It's a bit quiet up here. We okay. I've, I, I can imagine that Cardiff was absolutely raucous, but yeah, I, I realised that completely escaped my mind. But yeah, first time in sixty-four years. So there you go. No, great uh, night, great night. They, you know, brilliant. they've been brilliant. They've been absolutely fantastic. And actually, if you just want a, a, a taste of what Welshness, new Welsh identity is, you get it through football. You don't necessarily get it through rugby anymore. Do you think that's been the case? Can for... I just give a plug Sorry, for, for my old mate, Rob Phillips? I was listening to the last 20 minutes on BBC Radio 5, I think it was. Rob was the, the Newport rugby reporter when I first arrived in Argus. I in, arrived in Wales for the Argus in 84. His commentary in the last 10, 15 minutes was absolutely stunning. He didn't draw breath. Uh, he just came out with Bonmont after Bonmont. He just, the, the passion and the excitement from the crowd through Rob's voice was incredible. It must be there on iPlayer somewhere. One of the best bits of commentary I've heard for many years. So well played, Rob Phillips. Awesome. I'll have to give that a listen. That. Okay, let's put a break in URC proceedings. And Eddie Butler, it is time for your random rugby 15. It's 15 quick fire questions. Uh, yeah. When you're ready, we'll get going. Say as much or as little as you like. Yeah. Nickname? Bamba, uh, after Gascoigne. Uh, uh, Ponderpool gave me that name because um, I went to university. Oh, nice. Best mm. rugby memory? First rugby memory. Best rugby memory? The best rugby memory, uh, beating England in 1984, Twickenham. Nice. Most embarrassing rugby memory? <sighs> That's a long list. <laughs> I suppose. Pose giving Mark Eller a try-scoring pass against Australia, same year, 1984. It had its ups and downs. Yeah, very roller coaster year. Pre-game tune. No, silence. Love, <laughs> okay, love silence then, love, love it still. Post-game meal. Potable clubhouse, it was always sausage, mash, beans. Best player you've played against? The Romanian number eight called Stefan Constant. We went to Wales one year early, earlier, 1983, and got royally thumped in Bucharest. And he was, um, he was very good. 
I can't say I've ever heard of him. That's no. fantastic to get a Romanian player on that. Yeah, it didn't take much to outplay me, you've seen us. Best player you've played with? Best player, well, that would, that would be either Terry Holmes or David Bishop. Uh, both scrum halves, both utterly brilliant. Uh, Favourite player right now? Uh, Cheslin Corby. Nice. Rugby idol? Shane Williams. Favourite stadium? Um, Cardiff Arms Park, uh, the, the, where Wales play, not where the sad blues play. Favourite gym exercise? <laughs> the exit. Yeah. The exit. <laughs> <laughs> Occupation if rugby didn't exist? Farmer. Superstitions? None. Seriously, no. Rugby law you would change? Replacements. Get rid of them. No, none whatsoever? No. No, it's meant to be an aerobic, yeah. an aerobic exercise, and at the moment it's not. Yeah, we've had that one quite a lot. Best thing about working in rugby? To be constantly surprised pleasantly, despite everything. That's a, that's a great answer, actually. That's a very unique one. Right, awesome. Thank you for doing that, Eddie. Let's get back to... Um, let's get to the Welsh situation in a second. Brendan, you touched upon this earlier and the fact that we don't see enough of the URC in the UK. I actually don't know whether you need a Premier Sports subscription and that would be your way to watch it. BBC Wales, S4C television. From where we oh, are. Well, see, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. And I mean, now I know that I can get S4C on the... You know, channels are available across the UK. There we go. Right. Well... Nick, did you know that? My excuse for not watching is... The... Nick, no, I didn't. No, you didn't no, know I didn't, that. I didn't know about S4C. I did know that, I mean, there's URC TV. I don't know if that's one of the, uh, you know, an internet channel. But uh, Premier Sports is definitely subscription here. And um, as, as somebody said, a subscription too far. Yeah. <laughs> about 15 of them so far. But this is part of the problem, obviously. We've got three England-based rugby fanatics here. Not a single one of us knew that the URC was on free-to-air television. So how, how can that be? Like, what is missing? Is it advertising? Is it overall investment? I don't know. I suspect the, um, the written press probably don't help by not covering it at all uh, until we get to, well, until it morphs into European competition and then Leinster yeah. top teams may get may get a shot. You know, I was 20 years the Observer rugby correspondent and I don't think I ever went to a domestic Welsh club game. You know, the, the outlook was entirely English. Brendan, what do you think? Well, obviously you can tune in on free-to-air television. Do you, do you have anything else to add in terms of what would help with the internationalisation beyond the countries that are involved? Well, well, some publicity about that free-to-air would have, would have been good. Um, and the fact that myself and Nick didn't know that I mean, we might speak about me and Nick, but also I'm sure that many people throughout the country just didn't realise that. It's difficult. Like Eddie said, it's kind of a historic thing. You know, I mean, we are based in England. We've got a pretty interesting premiership. And of course, we're up against other big sports. You've got Wales, down in Wales. It's, you know, of course, it's covered down there. Of course, you can get access to it. Do the Welsh watch the, the English? Do the Welsh watch the premiership? I don't know. I mean, it, there's always going to be that slight division. Uh, but also, there's this, I don't know how it's happened, but there's this ingrained feeling that it's not as strong a league and not as good a league. Now, I don't agree with that because we, some of the best rugby I've seen this season has been from Leinster and Ulster, for example, in, in, in patches. But that is quite deeply embedded into the psyche. And I think that there has to be a way somehow of trying to, um, to change it. 
I've been very against the South Africans, but one of the pluses of them coming in is I do think they will improve the perception of the strength, the overall strength of the league quite noticeably. And, and that might be a tipping point for that league, and then it might take off from there. It's a, it's a, it's a huge embarrassment to us in Wales that uh, the showcase teams from the United Rugby Championship are Ulster, Munster and Leinster. Glasgow on occasions... You know, where is Wales in the equation? We've always been up against this, and yet we've always had a huge presence in, in the world game. But the way things are going at the moment, we're, our grip is is getting weaker by the season. Eddie, what, what is, you know, I mean, I know it's a, it's a uh, you know, multifaceted question, but, you know, just in terms of when, when, when it went to the regional model, David Moffat... Um, bought that or was instrumental in bringing it in was it the right thing to do with the benefit of hindsight has it been you know i mean we've seen that the provincial side of things can work in uh, in ireland but those provinces were always there in yeah. the irish structure whereas you know the ospreys are a newfangled conglomerate and the other you know the other regions don't really seem to have 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 taken off at all no, it's um, it's a real problem. That um, the creation of the regions was a short-term fix for a long-term financial problem, but you have to recognise at some stage that the fix doesn't work. On the other hand, we've got two standalone regions. You know, Trenetli, the Scarlets, mm. and Cardiff, formerly known as the Blues, they are still basically standalone clubs, and they can't cut it. And what's more, they can't. They can't deliver a crowd, and that's the huge thing, that if you don't have a sense of theatre, mm. one, of the, one of the big reasons why the Gallagher Premiership looks better is because it plays to full houses, and you get that full sense of theatre and drama that goes with the full-on sporting occasion. In Wales, wherever the television camera pans and whatever angles you try, you're always conscious of rows and rows of empty seats. And it simply doesn't help. So you've got to look for a new model. And that, then you come slap into the, into the problem of, okay, you bring down the regional system. What do you replace it with? And nobody's really clear because, you know, we, you could say that Cardiff and Llanelli are the standalone models and they're not working. Mm. So what does work? And I think we're reaching the point now where Wales has to contemplate just leaving the URC you know, if, if South Africa is forced to go it alone, it goes back to the Curry Cup. Well, Wales might have to contemplate just going back to, to being Welsh. You know, there's nothing wrong with the community game. We're having to shed clubs, but that's simply because of um, we live in post-industrial Wales. But if you go to the good community clubs in Wales, they're, they're great places. They're absolutely buzzing. And I've got two boys still playing, still playing rugby. And I go to, to watch them play, and it's... <laughs> It's fantastic. Nothing has changed. It's still a, the rugby clubs of Wales are still brilliant places to be. And out of them will come talent. It's just what we do with that talent. We are mishandling what we do with our, our best players at the moment. I was going to say it's extraordinary, you know, when you consider the, you know, the depth of support that there was, you know, for clubs, you know, for the club that you play for, for Ponypool and for, you know, for for Thlanetli, as was, for Cardiff too, you know, and obviously Newport and so on. So there was there was huge 
identity the you know with the welsh clubs and the and the you know this regional model that was foisted on it seemed to seem to trash that and and you might say that actually the the financial problem that david moffat used to explain away his his contraction in, into the regions was no worse than any other financial problems we've had in wales and we've always got through them you refinance the stadium you do you do whatever is necessary so we did miss that. Do you, do you remember those years when Cardiff and Swansea broke away as rebel clubs and played in the in the English system? The English said you can come and play in in whatever it was called then, but the English leagues just after the game turned professional. And the the peace deal in at the end of that season was that six Welsh clubs would be allowed to play in the English first division. And Wales declined, saying it it wasn't enough. What would you give now? What would Wales give now to have a deal which offered them mm. six places in in the in the <laughs> English top division? But anyway, times move on, and we wouldn't we wouldn't get there with six, and we've we've um, we've reached that point now where we've got to perhaps think smaller, uh, export big. If our system isn't good enough for fully fledged professionals, then we have to be able to release them to go and ply their trade elsewhere and just enjoy what Welsh rugby is for the time being, which is it's vibrant, it's inventive, it's creative. And it's, uh, you know, again, I come back to this football model. It's, it's, we're so mired in gloom at the moment, we forgot what it is to be having fun. And it's, it's so obvious that the footballers are having fun and that the Welsh players at the moment uh, and not playing with much of a smile on their face. No, it's it's an irony though that in the period where this regional um, disaster, I, I think it has been, has happened. Wales have you know under the you know coaching of of, of astute coaches like Gatland have actually still punched their weight, you know, more than punched their weight, you know, in terms of grand slams and so on. They won more than England have in the in the last twenty. You know, 15, that's, easy, that's quite easy to explain, Nick, because he takes players in his national squad and, he, and he's built that at home for them in the Vale of Glamorgan. Mm. And when they come into camp with him, they get that very special feeling that now this is where you go to work properly. This is your home. You listen to Sean Edwards. You listen to these coaches. All the facilities here are truly world class. And there's no reason why that should change. It's just where you get the players, where you where you source your players to come into this home. But Warren Gatlin was very good at creating that very special place, and there's no reason why that should change. And and it meant, you know, I mean, one of the, I think that one of the other things that it meant, for example, is that you take the Ospreys an example or whatever, all of them in 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 a sense. They were doing, in a way, what Ireland have done with, you know, with the Leinster players and so on. They were resting players during, you know, the, those periods when it came to maybe European games or uh, Pro 14 games or whatever else. And so that idea of building a crowd based on a successful regional team that was going hell for leather at competitions to, you know, to win them, not just to be in them, but to actually win them, that went or appears to have gone. Well, you know, Ireland managed their players as, as carefully as anybody. So you don't always get the full Irish contingent playing for Leinster. Mm. But it doesn't stop them going to the RDS on a Friday night and, 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 and Getting behind making them. it a special yeah. place. The Irish, 
I've got over a hundred years though of pl of playing provincial rugby, and it has got this social element tied to it. Going to Ravenhill, going to Toman Park, it's all it's all part of the rugby chemistry. And we in Wales, we have lost that. Do you think that um, the Warren Gatlin's era and the success that it had is in this way or in this instance its own worst enemy here because it masked all of these deep-rooted problems and you see the a wales team that you know reached a world cup semi-final you know have won a couple of grand slams in the past decade and you don't you know you think about the top you don't think about the base which is where the problems are no you just have to remind yourself that you know in wales we've had golden ages before the golden ages of the 1900s well obviously the first world war came along, but the 20s and 30s in Wales were, were really tough for, for Welsh industry and, and for Welsh rugby, really bad. So the golden age of the 1900s led to nothing. And the golden age of the 1970s led to the 80s and the sharp decline before professionalism came along in 95. And you, so you just have to accept that you can't have it swimmingly well all the time, you know, and there will be low patches. Look, England won the World Cup in 2003 and fell off the cliff. Yeah. So one, one, one thing does not necessarily lead to a better thing. And in Wales, just after, we have to get used to the notion that we might have to have it tough for, for a few years. That's, that's at international level. But as long as we're churning out the talent, I have no doubt that Welsh, well, Wales will always be competitive and sometimes brilliant on the international stage. It's the club game that worries me and, and what we do with that. So from what I'm hearing, you would say that the elephant in the room is lowering from four to three. That would be a knee-jerk reaction. Well, I think we've got to be even more radical than that. I just think I just think we ought to rip up the regional model and you just you just go back to having the clubs. Go on, Brendan. Yeah, what I was gonna say, that that was that is exactly how Argentina work effectively. Their great 2007 and 2015 World Cup sides were almost all based overseas, while the game at the club level was amateur in Argentina. Now, Argentina have only ever had one professional franchise, the Lagares, and they now no longer exist, or not on the world scene. They play in the South American circuit. But Argentinian is still thriving. It has got a great club system. And that system works for them. And in fact, they've had to go back to that system. I, I don't think it's something to fear. You know, and now we've got Argentinians all over Europe playing brilliantly again. And I would strongly suspect a, a strong World Cup in France from them ne next year. One interesting idea I saw as well, um, Eddie, and I wanted to pick your brains on this, would be forget the four provinces, forget putting it down to three, which would probably limit the player pool in terms of geography. Instead, you go with an East Wales and a West Wales, which would raise the overall level of those two teams. They'd be able to participate in the URC. You'd maybe get more funding for each respective one, and you wouldn't limit the player pool in such in, in the same way that a reduction to three would be. Yeah, oh, okay, you know, but I, I still think it's, um, it's creating an artificial entity which is just half the regional system we have now, you know. I just um, I'm trying to be I'm trying I'm trying to be futuristic about this and, and think what would work. And uh, I don't know. That is the real problem. It's very difficult to find anybody in Wales who has a clear vision of of what would work. But your um, instinct is to go is to go back to a a, a league system with yeah. promotion and relegation. Yeah, yeah, a Curry Cup. In Wales. And URC stays with Ireland, Scotland, South Africa. Yeah. And 
Italy, obviously. Our, our best players would participate in it as, as members of other teams. Okay. There's no that scenario is- in which this happens, is there, at the moment? No. No, there, there, would, be, there would be huge resistance to it. But, um, you know, we're going nowhere at the moment. Well, well we are. We're going backwards. You talk about big scores being put on when Benetton stuck, stuck 69 points on, on Cardiff. That's, um, that was a telling result. And you see the way Cardiff played as well. That was a telling performance. We haven't actually touched upon the financial side of things all that much. And, well, I'm asking as someone not too in the know here, but if we take the four regions on their own, do you think there's enough actually being invested into them? I don't think money's a problem at uh, at regional level. I really don't. I think the players are perfectly well paid, certainly enough to get a performance out of them once a week. You know, they probably aren't paid as much as players in Japan or, or France, but they're certainly paid well by by Welsh standards and you know it's, it's it it isn't remuneration it is it's standards it's um it's commitment to the game it's uh it's about connecting with the public and we're just slipping behind on all those things you know there's there's this um the, the Leinster model is is based very much on on what Leinster have always done which is tap into the private school system and then have this internal competition because they they come out in such numbers and they're scrambling scrambling for only so many places that there is this internal competition that keeps keeps um, levels high keeps um, keeps the, um, the standards very high we don't have any private school system in wales like that we rely on on the junior clubs we don't have much rugby in in a lot of state schools anymore you know, so that's that's very much part of the problem, and the clubs have responded pretty well to keeping the um, you know following the French model about having a called a rugby. You know, you just go and you join a club and you go through the minis and and up you go. You don't necessarily play at school in France, and we're we're, we're sort of leaning towards that. So the clubs are doing as good a job as they as they can, but there is limited money in Wales. Full stop. And when you compare yeah. it with what is washing around the game elsewhere, we are we are very much in the basement and it's not going to get any better. A league system would obviously require potentially more financial investment. Do you think in terms of selling those tickets, keeping the, the Dan Biggers, the Louis Rees Samets, etc. in Wales would surely help with Philip putting bums on chairs? Well, they don't play in Wales, do they? You know, Louis Rees Samet plays, plays at Gloucester and, um, you know, it doesn't seem to stop him being roundly applauded when he comes and plays for Wales. You just, we have to be realistic. We have to cut our cloth. You know, Warren Gatland did amazingly well to get the best out of, out of those players. But others can, can replicate what he did by making that central camp. When you're in camp with Wales, that's your special place. The problem being that if you allow them to go and play elsewhere, you don't have so much time with them. So that's the catch twenty two for Wales. You release the players to go and improve elsewhere, but you limit the time you have to take them that extra five percent up to international standard. Just one final question, and this is on the international level now, not on the club level. Putting you on the spot a little bit. World Cup twenty twenty three. Where's the Welsh side getting to, in your opinion, Eddie? Well, unlike most countries, who once they find themselves either in a rut or on a high, they tend to stick with that. In Wales, we we can turn things around 
pretty quickly. We can also fall apart pretty quickly. So we are quite unique in, in, in that respect. And you have to remember that although we lost to Italy, when that happened at Cardiff Downs Park, I, I remember thinking more good is being done to Italian rugby than harm is being done to Welsh rugby. Well, Wales obviously were disappointed at that result, but that same team had very nearly beaten England and had very nearly beaten France. Mm. So we're never, we're not far off, but we are what we are, slightly, slightly hysterical and, and prone to collapse. But also when we get going, when confidence is high, Wales are great. Wales are great. They can go, they can go as far as they've ever been in the World Cup. You think that Wayne Pivak has that um, has that touch to be able to 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 bring them to the boil for a, something like a World Cup campaign. Obviously, they've got to go to South Africa this summer, which is um, is a steep climb. It is, and it could be it could be painful, but it's been painful before. You know, again, I don't think it'll be it'll be as bad as as everybody seems to think. And you've also got to remember, Nick, that Wayne Pivak went into this year's Six Nations champion as the as the title holding coach. Mm. You know, so it's not it's not so long ago that we were we were celebrating. We we are the um, we are the erratic performers of the Six Nations, and we should be hailed and applauded <laughs> as such for bringing an extra dimension to it. <laughs> I think that's certainly valid and a good note to end on fascinating stuff now that we know that it's on free to air television we'll be able to tune into the semi-finals and finals as will our listeners so there we go and get your Um, subscriptions paid (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) Eddie thank you so so much for joining us enjoy I presume you'll be commentating on the semis and the final then oh no I know I'm as your Welsh correspondent I, I think you'll find that I've been redundant for quite a few rounds now <laughs> okay <laughs> I see okay so you're only involved right well in which case enjoy watching them with us hopefully from the comfort of your home and yeah thank you so much again grab a copy of the rugby paper in stores on Sundays or through a digital subscription have it delivered straight to you don't miss next week's episode in which we will be previewing the final of the Gallagher Premiership <laughs>